You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, episode 44. The experience of having her be put in your arms, it just makes everything worth it. Like you said, like pain with a purpose is just such a great mantra to have throughout the experience. I joked with people that being able to have an unmedicated natural birth was like my version of climbing Mount Everest. I just felt like I had climbed Mount Everest and, you know, I was like on my way down to claim my prize, which is my baby. And yeah, I mean, as soon as they put her on my chest, I couldn't stop saying like my baby, Mm -hmm. my baby, she's here. Welcome to the Birth Matters Show. I'm your host, Lisa Graves-Taylor, founder of Birth Matters NYC, childbirth education and labor support. This show is here to lessen your overwhelm on the journey into parenthood by equipping and encouraging you with current best evidence info and soulful interviews with parents and birth pros. Please keep in mind the information on this show is not intended as medical advice or to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. If you enjoyed this show, we'd be incredibly grateful if you'd share it with a friend. You can follow and share our posts on social media at Birth Matters NYC or simply tell them to search for Birth Matters wherever they listen to podcasts. In today's episode, Tony and Peter share their firstborn's birth story only about six weeks after the big day. Originally, they had hoped for a completely unmedicated birth. They share how, as they approached and passed their due date, they tried everything under the sun to go into labor spontaneously, to no effect. The unexpected development of needing induction just after 40 weeks due to developing borderline preeclampsia then required some adjusted expectations. You'll hear how strong self-advocacy techniques were game changers that Tony and Peter used to delay and ultimately avoid using Pitocin for labor. They also share how their doula and Peter set up the hospital room in a way that was both meditative and celebratory, including the use of battery-operated candles, aromatherapy, music, and even a hand drum and dancing. As a psychotherapist who specializes in meditation and mindfulness, Tony details how she used those skills and tools to have an almost completely unmedicated, quick five-hour induced labor in which she pushes the baby out in only four pushes. In light of the fact that most inductions are expected to take, on average, 24 hours, and even spontaneous first-time labors take 18 hours on average, this was doubly fast and efficient. Tony gives a couple of insights and recommendations to listeners for early breastfeeding, and they both reflect on the moment of meeting their daughter as well as the monumental transition into parenthood. Before we jump into the story, I wanted to remind you that you can be entered to win a $50 Amazon gift card to help with your holiday shopping in two simple steps. Step one, leave a review of this podcast wherever you listen. Step two, post a screenshot of the review and podcast logo to Instagram, tagging us at Birth Matters NYC. Previously, I mentioned it would be an Amazon gift card, but with the importance of shopping local and supporting small businesses, especially in these times, I've decided the winner gets to choose the merchant. We'll announce winners on November 17th and December 15th over on Instagram. You'll not only have a chance to win, but you'll also be helping other expectant parents find the podcast. So many thanks and good luck. All right, let's get started with today's birth story. Welcome to the Birth Matters Podcast. Today I have Tony and Peter with me. Welcome, guys. 
Hi, thank you so much for having us. We're excited. Yeah, I am too. So can you share how long ago you guys gave birth? And then maybe if you'd like to share your profession, I think that's always interesting for people to just have that background. It's been about six and a half weeks. Beginning of January is when Zoe was born. And I'm a psychotherapist, clinical social worker. And I am a recruiter for a large digital media company. Great. And if at any point along this interview, if you have any reflections on the work that you do, if it has either played into your birth choices or how has your perspective on your work changed in this journey into parenthood, if it has yet? I know it's very early on. You haven't had much reflection time, (laughs) but that's just, I think, an interesting thing to ponder and for people to hear because we spend so much of our lives working. All right. Can you give me a little background on how your pregnancy went and what things did you do to prepare for this entry into parenthood? Pregnancy was pretty uneventful. I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes, but I was able to control my blood sugars just with diet. So the baby was measuring at an average weight. And so there was no concerns in that area. In preparation for labor, We were hoping that the baby would come before the new year. Her due date was January 1st, and we were hoping she would come in 2019, but that's not what happened. But we undertook some natural induction measures. We were drinking the red raspberry leaf tea, eating pineapple, eating dates, (laughs) (laughs) bouncing on yoga balls. Uh, What else did we do? Going for long walks. Yeah, pretty much everything that you've recommended gone over in your classes, we literally did everything. She needed a little bit of coaxing to come out. So what happened was we went for a general appointment on the 40th week, I believe. Yeah, it was after her due date. And I was starting to show elevated blood pressure and some protein in my urine. So the doctor encouraged us or strongly recommended us to go straight to the hospital. Uh, We were completely unprepared for that. (laughs) I literally brought an empty bag to the doctor's office because I thought we were going to Trader Joe's after. (laughs) None of our phones were charged on top of that. So we're like running below 50% because we're just expecting to go in and then just like go out. Yeah, we're like, she's not coming anytime soon. We have another week, probably a few, at least a few more days. So we were totally not expecting to be sent to the hospital. And we were completely unprepared. And, and so we went to the hospital. Yeah, we were at the hospital for about four to five hours at that point. So they had Tony hooked up to the blood, you know, get her blood pressure uh, measured and checked. And they also drew, uh, I think, some blood at that point as well. Yeah, they checked her urine. And then mm-hmm. everything seemed to have kind of cleared out by that point. And then uh, the nurse actually came back and made a recommendation that we should stay and actually go through with an induction. But we were very much had this idea that we've already had this scheduled induction date for two or three days after. Uh, So, oh, we just want to go home. We want to be able to kind of like relax, actually get all our stuff and actually be much more prepared than, than what we were at that moment. And then I think there's like, all right, you're 
you know, you kind of needed to figure it out. So we're like, all right, we're going to get a second and third opinion. So at that point, Tony's phone was dead. My battery had less than 5%. So then she, you know, decided to make the call to her dad and then also to our doula, who was amazing through this entire process. And during the point when she was on the phone with our doula, the phone died. Yeah. So my blood pressures were fine throughout the whole, the whole process of monitoring me. I was meditating, like really trying to get into a calm space. And then the doctor came in and told me that my protein levels were still elevated in my urine and that they strongly recommend that I stay for an induction. And I was really, really set on having a natural start to the birth. So I reached out to my dad, who's actually an oriental medicine doctor. So I trusted his wisdom. And I also reached out to the doula. But as I was speaking with the doula, my husband's phone had 5% battery life on it and I was like okay you gotta just listen to me this is what's going on tell me what I should do just as like she was about to give me her feedback the phone died and also at the same moment I was still attached to the blood pressure machine the OBGYN walked in and my blood pressure had spiked no surprise really (laughs) right (laughs) that dying phone battery will do it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so at that moment, the OBGYN was like, we are, we cannot let you go home. And I was trying to explain to her what just happened, <laughs> but she was not really having it. She felt uncomfortable letting us go home. And she felt that since we already had an induction date scheduled for a few days later, that it was just best for us to stay. And I really had to kind of let go of that expectation that it was going to happen a certain way. Kind of talked about it for like a good, like 45 minutes to an hour. So it it was really about like what Tony said, it's like letting go of that idea or that notion, how we, how we wanted it to happen, even though we had kind of planned everything out with the scheduled induction date versus what was best for our baby. And ultimately, that's what we decided upon. So. Yeah. yeah. Did they ever say you have preeclampsia? No. It, it, everything was like borderline. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like kind, kind of, of the motif <laughs> through like the entire pregnancy. It's like, oh, it's like borderline. Caught <laughs> up for the high blood pressure was like 90, but I was 91. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like everything was just kind of on the edge. It was a little bit more difficult in making the decision because it was a little bit more ambivalent. It wasn't so black and white Mm. Um, and I felt fine so I wanted to just trust myself but at the end of the day I had to kind of take a step back and connect with my intention was to have a healthy baby so you know decided it wasn't necessarily worth the extra risk to you know leave the hospital at that point so we mm-hmm. stayed and Peter actually like took a cab back as fast as I could. I was like directing the cab driver. I was like, I need to get home as fast. My wife is going to be in labor very shortly. So I got home. Thankfully, 
we were prepared and actually had all of our go bag stuff ready. So I literally just had to sling three or four bags with me, make sure that she got her stuff. We brought, you know, candles, pillows, all this extra stuff, everything that we, you know, learned from your class and then just hooked it back within like 30 minutes. Oh, important detail. He picked up Subway on the way back to the oh, hospital. Oh, yeah, I actually had the Uber driver stop by Subway to actually pick up food. Yeah, for us. So. I, 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 for food. Yeah, because I knew from your course that they would cut us off. <laughs> so I was like, I'm hungry, yeah. so please pick up some food. So that was helpful. Mm -hmm. We snuck some of that in. Yeah, a lot of snacks, too. But, yes, yeah, so I was back at the hospital within, I think, an hour and a half with that yeah and at that point you already yeah so while he was gone they hooked up the hep lock for the iv i told them i wasn't interested in ivs but they put one in just in case i would need one later um i don't like your wording I'm, i wasn't interested in IVs. <laughs> <laughs> i like that I wasn't interested in a lot of things, but <laughs> but I was also open to, you know, I had already realized at that point that things may not necessarily go exactly as I planned for. So I was leaving things open for alternate possibilities, but I was still hoping, you know, to navigate the experience in a way that felt aligned with what I was hoping for. So yeah, they put in the hip lock and they had the anesthesiologist come by, even though I also indicated that I was not interested in the epidural, but they were like, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> I also requested a wireless monitor, which they had, but they said they weren't really familiar with using, um, which is interesting. So I think it was something they had on hand, but not many people requested. Uh -huh. And so that was something really helpful that we learned about from your course, mm -hmm. you know, just knowing that that's an option and knowing to request it. And you guys were at NYU, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. one of the only hospitals in our city currently that you actually can sometimes use it. But like you said, a lot of times they're like, oh, we don't use it enough to be comfortable with it. So yeah. it really depends on who is you know, yeah, on duty yeah. then. Yeah, they were like saying that they have like trouble getting it to work properly and stuff, but they respected my uh, request. So I appreciate it. And so, yeah, while he was gone, they started the first step of the induction, which is Cytotech? Uh -huh. Cytotech, yeah, mm -hmm. Cytotech, yeah. Was that administered vaginally or orally? Orally. I think I just took it like as a pill. Yeah, I just popped it like an Advil and gave me water and that's it. And they said that it would take like four hours. So at that point, I was waiting for my husband to arrive. We contacted Dula and then the fun started. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone came. We started setting up the room. The lights, like we turned off like all the lights. We had electronic candles, like, like three or four sets of electronic candles. We brought some, Dula brought some. Uh, but, she, uh, aroma diffuser as well. Yeah, she had some amazing essential oil blends that she was like kind of diffusing throughout the room. A portable speaker for so <laughs> like Tony can have like her soundtrack, you know, her music going on in the background and help mm -hmm. with that experience. Yeah, we also brought a drum. <laughs> we were going to have like a sound bath. 
experience. I love that. That is so cool. (laughs) Yeah. So it was like, it was really nice to kind of like set up this like ceremonial space. Like we were coming in with intention that it wasn't going to be laboring. It was going to be like a birth ceremony and celebration. Um, So that's what we were like hoping for. That was kind of the intention that we were setting for this space. Can I ask you a little bit more about the drum and sound bath? Like, how did you come to want to bring that? I know you have a meditation practice. And so can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much an extension of like meditation. So I know that it helps you kind of focus inwards. And it's such a beautiful way to initiate like that inward journey. And sound bath is something that could be shared with everyone in the room. Like, so it was like kind of a communal experience. And so that's what we were like hoping to create. So it was like a tool for me to help me kind of get into deeper states of meditation, but also a way to create like this sacred communal space for everyone to participate in um, the journey of becoming a mother and birthing a child. I also remember that there was a short amount of like dancing that we did as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was definitely dancing. Yeah, we're definitely dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was dancing. Love that. Yeah, it was like a really beautiful experience for a few hours. I did feel like kind of the tightening of my uterus, but it wasn't a painful sensation. It just felt like tightness. And the monitor show, it was showing that I was actually having pretty regular contractions. So I think this was another tool or idea that was really helpful that we learned in your class, which is like, to reframe the experience of contractions as sensations or waves. So I was just like kind of like noting that, oh, my stomach is like tightening, but it wasn't perceived as painful for at least a few hours. (laughs) And then a few hours after taking the first cytotech, the nurse came in and then she stated that the OBGYN felt that we should incorporate another intervention, induction method, which was the Foley balloon. Luckily, I had done some research before coming in for the induction about possible induction measures. So I was somewhat familiar with it, but we requested that she kind of explain Mm -hmm. the process a little bit more and like how it works and stuff like that. During that process, Peter stated. Yeah, I, I brought up, it's like, yeah, if we could, we want to opt out of Pitocin. And then that was met with a little bit of a curiosity on why. So the midwife actually had me explain why. It's like, oh, they've done research and studies where, you know, Pitocin this is like artificial, like oxytocin. It doesn't really help facilitate the bonding of the mother and the child. So we want to try to yeah, not have that as part of the process. And then she, in so many words, said that she doesn't really trust that research and this is the way kind of things were done. So I'm like, okay, but it's like, if we can, we'd like to not have that as part of our journey and process. Yeah, so they go ahead and insert the Foley balloon and they told us that it would take up to 12 hours for the dilation process to four centimeters. And I just wanted to ask, how did it feel when they put that in. Was it painful for you or not really? It wasn't painful for me. I stated that it felt like a colonic. If anyone's had a colonic before, it's like kind of feels like 
it's like kind of uncomfortable. There's a slight pressure down there, but it's not something um, that I perceived as painful. Did they tell you how dilated and effaced you were at this point? Um, I was, I think, one centimeter dilated. So it, they felt that I was a good candidate for the Foley balloon. It was just open enough, yeah. Yeah, just mm-hmm. open enough for them to insert the balloon in. And effacement, I'm not sure. I don't know. I might be making this up, like 70%. Is that a thing? I don't know. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's likely that if it wasn't painful when they administered it, that your cervix was quite soft. Oh, okay. So that's why I ask. It's always interesting to hear people's different experiences, uh-huh. really depending on how ripe and ready the cervix is. So yeah, after they inserted the Foley balloon, they came and checked on it, I think about an hour, hour and a half later. Yeah, like an hour and a half at most, yeah. And they wanted to see my progress, so they just tugged on it, and it actually came out. So they were really surprised that I dilated so quickly. So at that point, you know, we were thinking that we would have some more time to ourselves for the labor to naturally uh, progress. But soon after they pulled up the Foley balloon, the OBGYN walked into the room. I would say kind of stormed into the room. <laughs> yeah, the energy definitely kind of shifted in the room. Like kind of, yeah. Aggressive, I think, is like the best way to kind of describe how she kind of came into the room. <laughs> she started questioning us about the Pitocin. Uh, she was wondering why we were not interested in Pitocin. It was the th- third intervention necessary for induction, according to her. And she did not understand why we were making this request of putting off the Pitocin. So at that point, I was pretty shocked that this conversation was happening so soon in the process. Because I'd only been in the labor and delivery room for like four hours. I thought that this was just getting started. They told us themselves that the Foley balloon itself would take 12 hours but it came out in an hour so I mean like I just felt like it felt unfair to be so rushed and pushed it makes you wonder how many people were waiting in the waiting room or like what what this OBGYN had to do that day because that is really really early to be pushing that whole Pitocin thing yes Mm. my stance with her is like I'm not against the Pitocin. I'm just asking uh, why this conversation was necessary at this point in the labor. It felt so soon and so rushed and just inappropriate. And I stated that I wanted to continue this conversation after I've had time to let my labor progress. And she was just standing there in that room. She stormed back out to bring in a nurse as a witness for us to kind of repeat ourselves. And I I stated to her, like, we were having this conversation based on an offhand, like, comment that my husband had made. And it wasn't something that I had stated myself. And mostly that it felt inappropriate in the timing of it. But I thought back to your course again. And you did mention that there's going to be moments where we may be pushed to make um, choices that may 
feel uncomfortable or that we're not ready to make. And so this was definitely one of those crossroads for us. And we decided to, you know, act on a suggestion that you made, which is like requesting that the doctor leave the room so that we could have some time to, you know, contemplate the choice. And she was still not having it. <laughs> I was asking her to just give us a few moments of privacy so that we can discuss this as a birth team. But she just kept pushing us to make a decision in that moment. And she kept asking us like what we didn't understand. Yeah. That feels condescending. <laughs> she started using like, what I was to say would be like fear tactics. Like she was stating that if we didn't follow through with the Pitocin, that it would lead to a failed induction. Four hours into it? Are you kidding me? Like I, I could see maybe 24 hours later talking exactly. about that at all. Like what? <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. And thankfully we were informed through your course, like that this wasn't quite the normal course of um, action or at least the timeline felt rush. Yeah, she was indicating that it would lead to a failed induction. And our doula was great because she was kind of like the centered, neutral person in the room, because I was definitely starting to feel the blood kind of like start to boil because she was really pushing me and she was not respecting my request in that moment. And the doula, you know, asked the doctor to clarify what exactly does a failed induction mean? And the doctor stated that it meant a C-section, which, you know, I don't interpret as a failed induction. <laughs> it's just another way of having the baby. So that yeah, was- that's, a- that's not helpful terminology, is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. standard. That's what they say. <gasps> yeah. And then, so it was just me and the doctor just standing there head to head. <laughs> and it pretty much got to a point where I really had to make a declaration to her and I stated that this is my experience, this is my body, mm-hmm. this is my baby, and that I would not make a choice that would harm the baby, and that I trust that this labor will progress if I'm given the time to let it progress. And so at that moment, I think the doctor kind of knew that she wasn't going to be able to convince me otherwise. So it's definitely a, like a mama bear moment. (laughs) And it's impressive that you were able to be in that headspace to advocate for yourself because a lot of times so many of us don't have that. So good for you for really advocating for yourself and your baby. I mean, and I really do have to give your course a lot of credit because, you know, the language that she was using, I can see how if someone didn't know more information about what the process is like, how it could be a really scary situation because she was also stating that, you know, I was being induced because of a medical emergency. And, you know, I indicated to her that I wanted to be able to use the shower. And she was like, no, you can't use a shower because this is an emergency induction. Um, Even though before that other staff indicated that I could use the wireless monitoring and that it wouldn't be a problem. And so she was really trying to control the course of action. Thanks to your course, (laughs) (laughs) I knew kind of what the real options were for myself. So I was able to feel 
comfortable and confident advocating um, for myself. I knew at the very least that, you know, even if we were to follow through with the doctor's recommendations, that we deserved at least a, a, another hour or two at the very least. At um, least. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that's all that we were really yeah, requesting at that yeah, time. Yeah, it's like just time. That's what it really came yeah. down to. It just felt very rushed. We were being forced to do something that we didn't want to do at that time. So luckily, she eventually respected <laughs> my request, and she left the room. And our doula was really great. She kind of saw how upsetting the experience was for me, and she was trying to find solutions or alternatives. Mm -hmm. So she said that she would kind of go around and ask the staff like, oh, what is the situation on the floor? Is there any other doctors that might be available to kind of come and check in on me? That was helpful. And now just a brief pause for a quick word from this episode's sponsor. We want to be sure you know that Birth Matters has been teaching interactive, live, virtual, group, and private classes through the pandemic. And the cool thing is you can participate from anywhere as long as your time zone is compatible with New York Eastern Time. Group childbirth classes are the best way to build your confidence and prep for an amazing birth and entry into parenthood. It's also incredibly valuable to connect with other expectant parents to build your very important support system. You'll spend quality time with your labor support partner from the comfort of your home on Zoom as you prepare for not only birth, but also for your best possible postpartum recovery, as well as early parenting with classes on lactation and newborn care techniques. In a few minutes, Peter will share how they were grateful for the add-on option of our online self-paced or on-demand course, which we offer to our group class students at a steep discount. This allows you to go back and review things later as a refresher for this or a future pregnancy because you have lifetime access. To learn more or to grab your spot, visit birthmattersnyc.com. Now back to our story. An hour later, everything just escalated. Very escalated. <laughs> it escalated very quickly. After she left, we decided to kind of like recenter ourselves and kind of re-enter that space of like, you know, celebration. So we were like listening to the music, drumming, dancing. And I think that really helped produce that natural oxytocin, which is what facilitates the labor, right? And so I definitely started to feel <laughs> <laughs> the sensations more after about an hour. And we were definitely seeing the contractions on the monitor. monitor. But it was still was like manageable at that point because I was still like able to dance and like kind of, you know, enter this like deep meditative state. But then it felt like kind of like a switch, <laughs> like an hour into it. It was like, oh, okay, I can manage it. And then like an hour 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, I was like doing the, some of the, the pelvic floor opening like exercises from your class and that worked for a very short period of time. And like Tony said, it's like, it just, I was, I was like, like oh. all right, this is not helping anymore. <laughs> it's, it's really real. <laughs> oh yeah. Those were, those felt good for like a little bit. And, but then as the sensations intensified, we like needed to quickly like find other measures, comfort measures. At one point we had to switch out of the wireless monitoring 
and was connected to the monitor. But then one of the nurses luckily came in and asked us if we wanted to be reconnected to the wireless monitor. And we were like, yes, because then uh, that allowed us to be able to enter the bathroom, the shower. Yeah. So they were able to do that for us. And that was game changing. The shower (laughs) was such a miracle. And we also had the mood setting in there. So we also had the lights turned off on the, in there. And then we also had candles in there. and Music we, in there as well. Yeah, we yeah. could hear the music in there. But as soon as the shower, the warm water hit my back, it felt like I could really sigh in relief. It was just so, like, immediate. And so I I believe the doula did the the Z the, up to up to down. Z. Oh, you did yeah, the Z? Did, yeah. yeah. Actually, at that point I barely had my eyes open I was in such a deep inward state it felt like almost like I was in trance it felt like out of body experience yeah it was pretty wild because just observing when she we'd be going through these sensational waves and she kind of come out of it it very well did seem that she actually had left her body she's like oh she kind of snapped I was like oh where am I it's like kind of like what's going on it's like this is wild that her mind actually was able to kind of like separate from her body in that instant. It's powerful. Yeah. I mean, I think this is definitely a skill that was helpful for my career, which is the mindfulness, which is kind of being able to have awareness of what, what's going on in my body, but then also that like separation of the experience. So it was interesting on one level, it was such a visceral and primal experience and on the other hand, like I was like kind of noting the different stages as I progressed. I was like, oh, okay, now I'm in the active stage. Oh, but in class, we learned that there should be three to four to five minutes in between each wave, but it was coming pretty much right after the other because I guess it was an induction. So it was not following that, like, I guess, more spread out flow of the waves. So it, in that, it was intense because it felt like as I kind of rode one wave, the next one was like right there. So I didn't want to scare the listeners, but it felt like kind of like being in water, literally like riding a wave, like you're up for a few breaths of air. and like, Barely catching your breath. Yeah. 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 That sounds like transition, but I don't know if that's where you were in the process yet. Yeah, it's hard to say. It, everything happened so fast. Yeah, yeah. From the Foley balloon to when the baby was delivered was about five hours. Unusually short, especially for an induction, but even for just a spontaneous labor, that's really on the short end for a first labor. Forget that gradual buildup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was like that was like something I was like noting. I was like, oh, there is no gradual. <laughs> Yeah. Well, when, yeah. And my second labor was about that length as well. And so I know how it's like from zero to a hundred <laughs> pretty fast. Uh-huh. We were like, whoa, where, where was that gradual buildup I was expecting, <laughs> especially for you with a first birth. <laughs> it went from being like this quiet, like inward experience to this like very outward, visceral, like vocal experience, which really surprised me too. I found that it was really helpful for me to express myself vocally. I was definitely like screaming. Like kind of like roaring. Roaring, yeah. yeah, Which was really powerful. 
yeah, and it was, it was surprising to me. I was worried about the people down the hall. I was like, I hope they're not scared. Yeah, I was like, hopefully no one can hear us. But yeah, the nurse, the nurses were really great there. They said, yeah, so they were very attentive and they assured us that yeah, no one can hear you. <laughs> so it was like this beautiful, like messy, like raw experience. Like, like I didn't see much but every once in a while they had to come in and like check my blood sugars in the shower like the nurses were great in that they were like letting me kind of stay in that uh space while they kind of checked on me and like i just remember every once in a while i did have to get out of the shower to i guess check um how dilated i was and just like seeing the puddle of water like dripping into the labor and delivery room. <laughs> like <laughs> it was a little messy. <laughs> but they were really great about it. Yeah, they yeah. were really great about it. So were they doing internal exams with you standing then? No. So they only checked me twice. So like the first time they checked me, I was dilated to eight centimeters. So I think that was like That was the first time, yeah. So she actually, yeah, they helped her onto the bed. The bed. Okay. Like the first time. Yeah. So at that point it was like maybe two or three hours after they removed the uh, the Foley balloon. All right, yeah, so it dilated, yeah, four centimeters. So I kind of surprised that I was pretty quick. Like, all right, and then back in the shower we go. <laughs> so I was like, okay, we're done here. Let <laughs> yeah. me go back to my happy place. So I'm back to the shower. And then I just felt uh, the pressure, you know, of wanting to poop. And I kept saying that. I felt like I needed to poop. <laughs> and I, I know that that's like, I knew that was an indicator that it was time to transition possibly, that the baby was like coming out and I felt it. And like with each contraction, I was like visualizing the baby coming down further and further. And I don't know how helpful that visualization process was, but I feel like there must be some relationship between that and how quickly the labor progressed. I have no doubt that it can be so powerful. Yeah, so like with each contraction, I just saw the baby coming down lower and lower, and I felt the baby coming down lower and lower. And I started telling them that the baby's coming. Mm -hmm. And so I stepped out of the shower. And at this point, they were still a little bit uh, skeptical, you know. They were like, okay, like, sure, we'll check. And they checked in 10 centimeters. It's like, all right, we got to get the the doctors (laughs) in. We got to get ready to deliver the baby. Woo-hoo! Yeah. Amazing. And no Pitocin, right? No Pitocin. <laughs> you showed that doctor. <laughs> yeah. So we got on the bed and it's so interesting. I don't know if you mentioned it in your course or if I read about it, that there's kind of a moment of like stillness before the actual pushing part where you get like kind of a moment of rest. So like it was like kind of eerie in that like, the contractions kind of like slowed down, you know, when it was time um, to actually push. So it was like, oh, wow. Like I feel like I have renewed energy to push, which was interesting. I was noting that. And I was wearing a bathing suit top while in the shower and they told me, oh, actually I declared before we started pushing that I wanted skin to skin <laughs> and core yeah so I barely got that out 
I was like, skin to skin, <laughs> delayed cord clamping. <laughs> and so they were like, okay, then you need to take off your top. And so I like took off my top, but as I did, I ripped out my IV, like the hip lock out of my hand. But there's so much adrenaline rushing through you at that point. Like did I, didn't not notice? I didn't feel it at all. I was just like, yes, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the pushing started. And the beauty of a non-medicated birth is that you really can like tune in to your body. So it's just like instinctively knowing that with each contraction, like that you use that momentum to push the baby down. And so just knowing to do that instinctively, I guess, I just knew that that's what Mm -hmm. was supposed to happen. And so like, I would save my energy for that contraction. And then when that contraction came, I would start to push and the baby came after four pushes, which is, I think, pretty incredible. Whoa. Yeah. Also very fast for a first timer. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess I want to put the disclaimer out there that she was in the ideal position and stuff like that. So so she assisted me as well. (laughs) Yeah. I also truly believe that your discipline of meditation and mindfulness and visualization had everything to do with your body's ability to open that quickly. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Oh. Billy agrees too. <laughs> <laughs> and the cherry on top was the doctor said. Yeah, the doctor said after Zoe was delivered, she's like, oh, you know, you were right. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Little validation. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, your course is helpful because throughout the whole experience, I was noting the different stages, you know, and I'm like, okay, now the ring of fire is coming. <laughs> <laughs> but it was actually not that bad. I, I think the body just knows what to do. And like the, the adrenaline is rushing at that point. So you're just focused on like having this baby in your arms. So all of it doesn't really phase you. So I was like preparing for the sensation. <laughs> that I like heard or read about, but it it was, it was like nominal. And it's just like the experience of having her be put in your arms. It just makes everything worth it. Like you said, like pain with a purpose is just such a great mantra to have throughout the experience. I know it was a very fast pushing stage, but did you feel that instinctive urge to push? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I was feeling it in the shower. Mm -hmm. I was feeling that instinctive desire to push. Um, but even for me, I was like, this feels soon. Like, sure. <laughs> I was like, I hope it's time. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was really cool though. The fact that you said, all right, she's here. Like you kind of called it. The nurses came. It's like, oh, it seems a little soon. Cause I think at that point it might've been like an hour from the first time they checked when it went from eight centimeters and they checked like, oh wow, 10 centimeters, like fully dilated. Right. <laughs> I think even they were kind of surprised too. So you gave birth, did they have you be on your back or in a semi-reclined position or how, how did you give birth? Uh, like kind of semi-reclined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had requested the birthing bar. The squatting bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Squatting bar, yeah. Uh, yeah. At that point I didn't feel like that didn't feel right for me. I thought I would use that, but it was nice to kind of <laughs> be reclined. Yeah. More that. relaxed. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Like it was nice to have that support. Mm-hmm. So you met your Zoe. Any reflections on what it was like meeting her for the first time? 
For me, I was actually much more emotional when we were transitioning from the shower to the bed. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. So, that was, so even before you met her, oh, yeah, I think it was just, I think, like, more realizing how much work Tony was going through up until that point. She went through all this and we're like, finally at that moment. So that, that was really powerful. And then after that, yeah, it just, the pushing just like came and went by like that. I was like, oh, wow, 30 times? <laughs> I get to cut, I get to cut the cord? I was like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> what was that like? You want to describe cutting the cord? I looked at plenty of pictures online on what the placenta with the embellical cord would look like, and I was not prepared. <laughs> but yeah, I think it just kind of felt um, like trying to cut like a really thick noodle. Yeah, it was interesting because I couldn't get it really down the first time but then it was kind of like shearing through paper hmm. going through the second time so very interesting and no spurting or grossness uh no <laughs> usually there's not occasionally there is <laughs> <laughs> so you did that ceremonial piece mm-hmm. and tony how about you about meeting your baby <laughs> it's okay if you get choked up it's a huge life experience yeah, I mean, I was so grateful at that point for the experience that I'd just gone through. I joked with people that being able to have an unmedicated natural birth was like my version of climbing Mount Everest. I just felt like I had climbed Mount Everest and, you know, I was like on my way down to claim my prize, which is my baby. And yeah, I mean, as soon as they put her on my chest, I couldn't stop saying like my baby Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my baby she's here the whole pregnancy labor process just really awakens you to the beautiful process of what it means to become a human being it just feels like such a miracle you know an act of love can create something so beautiful and that the woman's body kind of just knows what to do. And I think this is like one of the most powerful lessons I've learned through the pregnancy and the birthing process is that we try so hard uh, to control our lives sometimes. And we try to push things to be a certain way, but sometimes there's more power and beauty and just letting things kind of like come to be in its own time. Like nature has kind of figured everything out for us, right? Like there's nothing that we can do to speed up the gestational process of having a baby, right? It's going to be nine months. It's like kind of surrendering is kind of the, I guess, almost spiritual lesson that I'm taking away from this whole experience life will unfold as it should in its own time and just to kind of let go and enjoy the process. And so I feel like I've kind of embodied that throughout the process. There's been moments where we've had to kind of practice that surrender. Yeah, it's been such a powerful and empowering experience. Yeah, I think for me, the whole birth is really beautiful and to yeah, thank you and give your course a lot of credit to that it helped alleviate a lot of the anxiety 
and even like the self that I had going into becoming a parent and actually even just like supporting Tony as well through the whole process. So luckily, you know, she's been infinitely patient as well. Having the online course for Birth Matters also helped that a lot too, because we were like the last one in our group to, you know, give birth. And we took the class, what, like four months, I think, before. Yeah. yeah. So you did the in-person and then you added on the online, yeah, so which I, is a newer offering that I've done as I realized, oh, wait, that could be helpful for someone. Like you're saying, if you take it earlier in pregnancy, oh, yeah. be able to review later. <laughs> oh, yeah, it definitely helps. I started reviewing it like in mid-December. So yeah, he was starting hard. So that, yeah, that definitely did help as far as remembering some of the things that we learned in class, even practicing the, the exercises and thinking about it now actually also what was great about the doula was being able to switch off like you know shifts when we're doing you know some of the, the actual physical hands-on work with Tony. Those are like two suggestions that I would have for people is to take a birthing class, especially yours. And oh, thanks. hire a doula, you know, ours is really great. Mm-hmm. Can you remind me how you found your doula and when did you hire them? We found her through a link on your website. I think uh, it was like a doula collective. Mm-hmm. I forget which one. I think you had a few on your website. So we went to a doula speed dating event mm-hmm. for that collective. And she was actually a doula that wasn't listed on their website yet. So it was just like, felt like such a incredible chance meeting because she was just like the perfect doula for us. And it's interesting is you saw her from across the room. It's like, like I feeling like she's the one. I like her energy, uh-huh. I like her presence. Uh-huh. Like, okay. Nice. And then she was like the last one we actually was able to squeeze in before the event, the speed dating event ended. It's like, yes, she's the one. Wonderful. Do you want to share her name? And, and maybe I can link to her website if she has one uh, in the show notes. Morris, Blaine Morris. Blaine Morris. Her website is Sana Sana. Rotan, so S-A-N-A-S-A-N-A-R-O-A-T-A-N.com. Great. I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. Thanks. Yeah, it sounds like she was a great support for you guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you remember about how many weeks you were when you hired her? I think maybe end of uh, second, second trimester. Mm-hmm. Before things get yeah, end sure. of second, beginning of third. Around there. So, did you have like one or two prenatals with her before the big day? Yeah, we had yeah, two, two. Yeah, two prenatal uh-huh. prenatal meetings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, did she come visit you after the birth? She was supposed to, but she ended up getting sick, and then just like the like timing. Sure. Yeah, that's usually optional. The postpartum yeah. visit, kind of up to the parents as to whether they want that or not. I mean, but she's great because she doesn't necessarily limit it to one or two. So, if we wanted more prenatal visits. Like for her, it's important to kind of establish that comfort level before having the baby. So I really appreciated that she had this mindset of like wanting to go above and beyond. Nice. Well, so two last things that I would like to ask. This first one, just be thinking about, is there anything that you haven't gotten to share that you'd like to share? And then Tony, I specifically wanted to ask you, are there any resources or even brief techniques you could demonstrate that might be helpful for expectant parents or new parents 
In terms of your meditation practice or any breath work, any little insights or resources, websites or books or YouTube videos or (laughs) any of that kind of thing? I really believe in mindset. So I guess as my baby's due date came and went, I started to realize that there was a strong possibility that I was going to be induced. So I started actually researching and looking up positive induction birth stories. So just knowing that this is possible, I think was really helpful. So I made sure that everything that I was reading was positive. I mean, I know that other things can happen. There are things outside of our control, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, I was entering that space with possibility rather than fear. So I think that is really powerful is just like continuing to filter out stories that might scare you and focusing on stories that kind of empower you, I think was probably my most helpful thing. And I listened to just a bunch of random birthing hypnosis videos on YouTube. There wasn't anything that I was specifically looking for, but I continued with that idea of, you know, staying in that mindset of possibility. So I think just like, I think if people just search YouTube, it's such a great resource looking up like hypnobirthing videos or hypnosis for birthing videos on YouTube. I think we're really great. Yeah. Just continuing a mindfulness or meditation practice you know, throughout your pregnancy and after pregnancy or after pregnancy is being a parent. <laughs> As a parent. The fourth trimester, yeah. right? <laughs> It's also a very helpful tool as a new parent, for sure. So that would be like my main recommendation is just like trying to monitor the mindset as you enter this process Mm -hmm. or as you're going along this journey. Great. Thank you. Any other reflections? Anything you haven't gotten to share, either of you? Oh, I wish there was a parenting (laughs) class that was like your birth class. (laughs) I'm sure there are, right? There might be, yeah. <laughs> maybe like when the baby's older, but yeah, those are harder to find. It seems like, yeah. I don't know if this is outside the scope of your podcast, but I guess the hiccup that we experienced was that our baby ended up developing jaundice. And so she had to be readmitted to the hospital. And during that time we were feeding her formula from like the pre-made bottles I don't know if this would be helpful for your listeners, but just knowing some of the options, which is like hospitals offer donor breast milk, which, you know, we didn't really know we had access to. So that would have been a choice that maybe we would have made differently is like feeding her the donor breast milk. And also if your listeners plan on breastfeeding, like maybe getting a slow flow nipple instead of the one that comes with the formula, I think, will also help with that transition of um, breastfeeding because the baby will not be used to the instant gratification. Of the mm-hmm. Also to know that cup feeding or syringe feeding is also another option when they're oh. brand new and they haven't gotten down breastfeeding yet. To be fed that way is going to facilitate the mm-hmm. breastfeeding relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for bringing up the donor breast milk. It is available at some of our local hospitals, but not oh, all. So you just need it. to check and ask, but that's a great thing for them to know to ask for uh-huh. if it's needed. Mm-hmm. Thank okay. you. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> but thank you so much. You and the doula, we would say you guys were the Sherpas <laughs> of our birth experience. Uh, we couldn't have done it without you. I mean, we would have done it, but it wouldn't have been, obviously. The experience uh, that we, we the great experience that we yeah. had. Yeah, for mm. sure. So thank you. It is my honor and my pleasure to know you and to have been some kind of guide in even a small way in your journey. So I have loved hearing this story. Thank you so much for taking the time, especially this early on in parenthood when I know you're still exhausted, I'm sure. And so I hope to see you guys and see you at a future reunion yeah, and definitely. to meet Zoe in person at some point. Thank you, Lisa. Bye. So that wraps up today's beautiful story. One of the things you heard in this birth story and that we go through in detail in birth class is how important it is to set up your laboring space in a way that's conducive to laboring well and promoting healthy physiologic birth. Tony and Peter took it a step further, which I loved to think of it as creating ceremonial or celebratory space. They really planned in sensory-specific ways, taking into consideration many things. For example, they considered the visual by altering the lighting. They considered the power of aromatherapy, bringing a diffuser with essential oils. They also considered what they would be hearing, bringing music, and even a drum and dancing to it. Tony sent me a couple of her favorite songs for labor, so I've linked to those in the show notes for episode 44 over at birthmattersshow.com. There's actual physiology to these environmental strategies. I'll give you one example. The most key hormone in labor, which creates contractions but also helps you cope with the intensity, is called oxytocin. For labor to progress toward meeting your baby, oxytocin needs to build up over time. Scientists have found that in the presence of dim, warm lighting, such as candlelight, due to the close relationship between melatonin and oxytocin, oxytocin tends to increase. This is the kind of lighting many of us have in our homes and that you'll find in most birthing centers. But is this the kind of lighting we have in hospital environments? Not at all, since hospitals are designed with sick people in mind, not with healthy birth in mind. So we need to be intentional with planning ahead in order to create this kind of lighting. You can bring battery-operated tea lights or string lights. You could crack the curtains and let in just a little outdoor light if it's daytime. You could bring a gauzy scarf to diffuse and change the color of a fluorescent light. You can also use the spotlight that your OB or midwife will use when your baby is crowning to shine on your baby's head and your vulva to see what is happening very clearly. They don't need it until the end of labor, so a helper could find the spotlight, which will usually either be recessed can lights in the ceiling with a control over on the wall, or a spotlight on wheels. Hopefully it's dimmable so that your partner, doula, or nurse could point it into a corner and dim it down. But whatever you do, turn off those bright, cold, blue fluorescents. If you're working with a doula, they'll be able to set up the space in very customized, specific ways that are both personally attractive to the laboring person and will promote progress. The other thing I want to mention is something Tony, being a psychotherapist, already knew before coming to birth class. That's the fact that an equally important organ in our bodies to the uterus in labor is our brain. 
To say it in another way, the mind-body connection is very real. A huge part of our important preparation for birth is shifting the mindset toward one of confidence, trust, surrender, and finding psychological strategies that will support a great labor and birth. Tony's story is a great example of just that. Okay, you guys, I am very excited about next week's story because it's the first time we'll have had almost an entire birth team on the show together to reminisce about a labor and birth. We'll have not only the birthing mother on the show, but also her midwife and doula. Here's a sneak peek with Kelsey, the birthing mother. And then when he saw like the sliver of dark hair, he was like, oh my goodness, she really is almost here. Now I have to be the one that's going to like push you through. And that's when his energy changed and helped me feel like we could do it. I remember Elaine, nurses, everyone was telling me I had to push. I, you got to push, you got to push. And I just kept saying, I can't. And they'd say, you are. And I'm like, am I? I don't know. It just felt like my body was becoming a different thing, which it is, but you feel like a superhero, like you're transitioning from one thing to another and you have to like, like become this animalistic thing. And I think I was still the preschool teacher and I needed to change. I needed to shift to a warrior mother, you know, and it took a lot for me. It wasn't easy. The thought I'll leave you to ponder this week is... A mindset shift of surrender is key for your metamorphosis into parenthood. Thanks so much for listening to the Birth Matters podcast. We'll see you next week.